0: Good evening church it's great to see you all.
1: I hope you're having a great week. welcome to church. uh I want to reiterate the announcement that uh, Darren just made on April 23rd all the singles in New York City are coming to Brooklyn to have that service. so I'm very excited. now what that means is because you know we're not going to be able to fit our church and all the singles into that building. For those of us that are married, we're going to be on Zoom on that day. That's Sunday, April 23rd. We're going to be on Zoom, and our brother, Steve Revel will be preaching to us marrieds. And so please uh, don't show up at 88 Hanson Place on the 23rd. Not that if you show up, they're going to turn you back. But please, we want to create as much space as we can for all of the singles that are going to be gathering all over New York City and New Jersey coming to our service. Again, let's be using, those of us that are married, let's be using the opportunity to invite single men and women to church. Uh, Although we're not going to be there, those guys will take care of them, and it's going to be a great, great time for those guys. Over the last several weeks, obviously, we've been talking about managing God's money. And so tonight, I'm going to be talking about a lot of practicals about how to put those things into practice. For us men, next week, we're going to be just us for midweek service, And I'm excited because our brother, Daniel Mikoku from Staten Island, will be preaching to all the men. And so next week, all the sisters, use the time to start back with somebody or go reach out to somebody or go follow up, go do something with non-Christian. That's what the time is for. It's not for us to just sit at home and do nothing. Uh, We're trying to make sure that, hey, we're outward focused as a church. And so I want to encourage us next week, as we are together, the men, that the sisters really use that time to truly glorify God and try and influence a non-Christian to the glory of God. So this is the lesson number five as far as managing God's money. Uh, A quick recap of the five principles. Principle number one, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Principle number two, God owns everything. We are simply his money managers. Principle number three, Our hearts always goes where we put God's money. Principle number four, giving is the only antidote to materialism. And principle number five, God blesses us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Now, I'm going to be saying a lot of practical stuff tonight. I mean a lot. And so I want to encourage you to take screenshots. The message is being recorded. I want to encourage you to come back and listen to this lesson. Because I understand that, you know, you can't write that fast. And a lot of things I'm going to be saying tonight, I'm just going to kind of zoom through it. But you can always come back and listen to these lessons. And I'm going to try and make the slides available so that you can come back and really take this thing apart. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11, the Bible says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Proverbs 22, verse 9. A generous man will will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. Proverbs 22, verse 7.
0: The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. You know, if we are not careful, we will continue to
1: acquire debt. And this passage tells me that the rich rule over the poor, that the borrower is a servant to the lender. You don't want to become a servant to American Express or to Visa or to MasterCard. Okay, I'm going to talk about that some more in in, in a few minutes. And then Proverbs 11, verse 15, he who puts up security for another will surely suffer. But whoever refuses to shake hands in pledge is safe. This is in the the Bible, brothers and sisters, where, you know, I've been a Christian now a long time, and many, many years ago, somebody came to me and said, hey, Richard, I need some help. You know, I'm trying to get a loan of some kind. Could you co-sign for me? And I pulled out this passage. I said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Because this tells me not to put up security for another person. I've seen money come between people, let alone Christians. And so it actually says this twice in the book of Proverbs. Go, go look it up that you shouldn't be co signing a loan for someone, for anybody. Oh, but I'm a, I'm a Christian. Well, the Christian Bible tells me not to do it. And so we need to be very careful. All these passages are in the Bible for a reason. And you and I disobey them at our own peril. And so tonight, I want to talk about practicals on building a great financial foundation. Okay? All I'm going to be talking about tonight is a lot of practicals. All right? And, you know, you can say to me, Richard, show me the word budget in the Bible. All right? Now, you can say that, but I'm telling you that all the things I'm saying tonight, yes, they are opinion, but if you're smart, you will listen. Several years ago, this guy came up with this book. And so tonight, I'm going to be the black Dave Ramsey. Okay, if you will. And I'm not going to charge you a penny. All the stuff I'm going to be talking about is free. But the wise would listen.
0: Number one, talking about building a great
1: financial foundation. Again, these are all practicals. Number one, make a budget and stick to it. Make a budget and stick to it. We're talking about being productive with the money that God has blessed us with, okay? The idea of having a budget and following it is telling your money what to do instead of wondering where your money went. We have to start doing things differently if we want to see a different result with your finances and with your money. You can't keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. In the world, that is defined as insanity. A budget, brothers and sisters, lets you have a plan that you can put into action. The bottom line is starting with a budget, and then later on, getting out of debt and starting to save and invest. Let me give you an example. You work for someone or you work for a company, and therefore, you have an income. Okay, That income is usually 100%. In other words, they pay you what they've agreed to pay you. Okay? I'm not using numbers tonight deliberately. So your income is 100%. Guess what your first expense is as a Christian? It's your contribution. Because God calls us to give him our first fruits. You and I will earn an income. And so our first fruits needs to go to God. That is your number one expense. That is my number one expense. It's my contribution. It's my offering. Now, again, I've said it before, but I'll say it very briefly again tonight. When I look at the Old Testament, they were called to tithe a tenth of their produce because it was an agricultural society. Now, you and I, we earn income. We work. We work with our hands. We use our brains. We have a skill. We went to school. We have an education. And so... We we now live in a capitalistic society. And so we earn income. We need to to tithe that income as Christians. That's God's money. That's not mine. That's not yours. All right? And again, like I said before, the tithe is where you start. Most Christians I know give beyond that. And I want to commend you to continue to do that. Your money is not going so that some preacher can get rich and live in fancy mansions and drive a Rolls Royce. Your money is going so that people can remain in the ministry and and pledge and do the ministry. Your money is going towards paying for our facilities and, and everything we need to do as a church. That's where your contribution is going. It's not going so that some rich evangelist can get rich somewhere. If anything, most of us that are in the ministry went into the ministry and took massive pay cuts. That is the truth. A lot of my colleagues and women's ministry leaders, they have advanced degrees. And they could be making tons and tons of money in the world. But we gave it all up to do this. And so I'm saying that to say, because sometimes people say, you know what, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to give contribution because you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't want my money to go to this preacher. You, you have it all wrong. First of all, it's not your money, it's God's money. Then the next expense you have, guess what, is your rent. In Florida, New York, and Massachusetts,
0: The rent portion of your 31%.
1: So yeah, you got your contribution 10%. The next thing, the next expense that you and I have is is 31% of our income because of where we live. That's just the way it is around here. Okay? And so if you add 10 to 31, already that's 41% of your income gone in terms of the expense contribution and rent. That's our reality. That's what we're having to live with by living in this part of the country. Yes, we're having to pay more rent, but guess what? We also make more money than most people living in the South and the Midwest and even on the West Coast. That's the reality. And then we also have expenses for food. We also have to pay utilities, light, gas, and stuff like that. Then we also need to clothe ourselves. And so there's there's the clothing expense. And then there's transportation in terms of putting gas in the car or if you have a metro car, you know, all this stuff costs money. Telephone, cable, entertainment, eating out, all these different things. But the important thing is that you have to start with a budget. You have to start with a budget
0: because then you know where your money is going.
1: And you've heard me say this before and I want to say it again tonight. Brothers and sisters, The trick to all this is not to live according to your means, but is to live below your means. Live on less than you make. We live in a consumer-driven society. The idea is buying only what you can afford. There are a lot of things in New York City that I can't afford. It's okay. It doesn't bother me. I'm not going to go and buy something I can't afford and then go into debt. That makes no sense. And so you got to live within your means. Sometimes, Dave Ramsey suggests that you try something called the envelope system. The envelope system simply means, you know, when you get paid, you pay your contribution, you pay your rent, and then the rest of the money you have, you put them in different envelopes. And on one, you will mark food. On another, you put utilities. On another, you put clothing. Whatever it is, you just label them. It's called the envelope system. Now, today, because of all the technology we have, you don't have to do that. You can actually do it on your phone where there are a lot of apps that you can download and you can create all this stuff yourself and you can create all these headings. And every time you say, you know, you buy something, you, you put it in there and it will help you track your expenses. It will help you see where your money is going. I said this to the young man when I taught them this class a couple of weeks ago. Never enter a grocery store without a plan. okay? Because what it's going to do for you is going to stop a lot of impulse buying. So before I go into a grocery store, I know exactly what I want, and I go in there, I get it, and I walk out. There's discipline involved when it comes to managing money. You have to be disciplined. You just can't spend money because you see, oh, look at the sales sign. Don't do that. You got to get very disciplined, but it starts by having a budget. If you can and you are able, buy stuff in bulk. You may want to get a membership in Costco or Sam's Club or BJ's because a lot of times it's cheaper when you buy things in bulk. Again, we've had to adjust the way we we, we buy stuff because in New York City, you know, space is paramount and everything is so tiny. And so, you know, when, when we lived in the South, you know, we walk into Costco and I would buy these huge, big packs of you know toilet paper and. Um, and uh what do you call those things uh that you used to wipe when you spill something you know i'll buy them in bulk and sarah would remind me after after moving here like richard don't do that because we have no space for this stuff and so i've had to you know learn how to yes i can only buy a few items because there's no space to put all this stuff but again it it helps to buy stuff in bulk bring your lunch to work that you it's going to save you a lot of money leftovers are, are also very tasty. Especially when you take it to work the next day, don't go out every week on your job. You know, spending money to buy food, make your make your lunch and take it with you. The same thing goes for your coffee. You know, some of us we we love we love uh, Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts coffee. You can make that stuff at home on your own and then take it with you. I mean, if you think about it, the the average cup of coffee for. Um, from Starbucks at five five dollars and imagine doing that three times a week that's $15 if you multiply that by 52 weeks brothers and sisters that is 780 dollars that you're spending on coffee in a year why don't you make your coffee from home and take it with you and save that money and use it so that your kids can go to camp but it starts with making a budget The other day, I just found a plugin where they're telling me that, you know, to plug it into any electrical outlet and it's going to cut my my electric bill by a third or a half. Yes, it's it's some money laying it out initially, but I'm looking forward to saving money on my electric bill because that's going to be close to $1,000 at the end of the year. But it starts by making that budget and sticking to it. Very, very important. And so I'm asking you, as, even as we begin tonight, do you have a budget? And are you sticking to it? It's one thing to make a budget. It's something else to really stick to it. It takes discipline. You've heard me say this so many times. It takes about 21 days for something to become a habit. But stick to it. It works. You need to know where every dollar is going that you earn. Remember, it's God's money, and you need to manage it well. And so that's what I want to say about making a budget and sticking to it. Number two, practical number two, have an emergency fund. Have an emergency fund. An emergency is something that happens suddenly. It costs money to attend to them. For example, something in your car breaks down. You are not anticipating that. And so what happens is if you have an emergency fund, you will now use some of those funds, to make those car repairs. Sometimes we have family members that pass on, and all of a sudden you have to go attend the funeral. Guess where that money comes from? It comes from your emergency fund. Okay? I want to encourage us to start by taking baby steps. Start your emergency fund by saving the first $1,000. You say, Richard, that's a lot of money. Yes, I know it is, but you got to start somewhere. You can start with $500 if you think, well, 1000 is too high. But you need to start. The important thing is starting. You want to make it your goal to have at least three to six months of monthly expense in case something major happens
0: financially. For example, you lose your job. If you lose your job, all of a sudden
1: you have no more income coming in. The reason why you want to have an emergency fund is that, you know what, while you're looking for another job, you can make your month-to-month expenses. You can pay your utility bills. You can pay your rent. You can, you know, keep your phone on and all these different things. That's the purpose of an emergency fund. Emergencies, brothers and sisters, they are part of life. They just are. Appliances break down. Cars break down.
0: Now, now, I want to say at this point for some of us we need to learn to say no when people approach us and want to borrow money from us I'm putting money in my emergency fund for my emergencies not for other people's emergencies okay
1: make sure you do not allow other people's emergencies to become yours this money I'm talking about in terms of putting an emergency fund is for you It's not for other people's emergencies. So I'm saying that to say, don't allow family members to now make their emergency yours. Be very careful. Okay? Pray about it. Especially if you're married. Don't just go, oh, you know what? I lent my my sister this amount amount of money without talking to your spouse. Don't do that. Remember, you are now married. You're one. The money you're making is not just yours. Whatever decisions you make, it affects your entire family. OK? Again, be careful when you loan people money. Money has ruined a lot of relationships. Now, if you can afford to lend somebody money, then absolutely, go ahead and do it. My wife and I personally, you know, if we can't afford to give it away, I'm not going to loan it to you. Because I've been, we've been in situations in the past where somebody will come and say, hey, you know, I'm in a bind. You know, can, can you lend me this much? And we we'll would discuss it and I give it to that person. But in my mind, you know what? If they don't pay me back, it's okay. Because I don't want the the the, the, the fact that they don't repay me come between the two of us. So if I
0: give it up, I'm not
1: But again, this is opinion. But I'm telling you that this is what my wife and I do, and I'm telling you it works and that's been working for us. If you can't afford to do it, then say so. You shouldn't feel bad. All right? Again, those of us that are married, make sure you talk to your spouse before you loan people money. Very, very important. Don't make a unilateral decision. You're a unit. Remember that. Again, i share. My wife and I, we, family members come and ask us for different things. And there are two things that we will help them out with. Either money for a hospital or to, you know, medical emergencies or for education, for school fees. You know, you want money to go on vacation? I'm sorry, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm sorry. Uh-uh. I also want to go on vacation. I'm, I'm not going to loan people money for stuff like that. But for, for, for medical emergencies and for health and for education, we, we, we will gladly give money away to family. But somebody will, oh, I want to go on vacation to this place. You know, Good luck to you. You better go save up for that money. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pay for that. I can't. because. We we gotta help people manage their money. If, if if you go keep just lending people money and giving money away like that, you are not you are not helping that person. You are simply enabling them. And remember again, those funds that you have, the funds that I have, did not belong to me. They belong to God. And so the next thing you want to do after you make a budget is have an emergency fund and build up to it. Again, you want to build up to three or to six months month of expenses. In case you lose your job, in, in case something catastrophic happens, that's what the emergency fund is for. And you're not going to be sweating. The money is going to be right there as you, as you look for another form of employment or another job. Number three, eliminate your debt before starting to invest. Elimin- get out of debt before starting to invest. Okay? Now, this is easy to talk about but hard to do. None of the things I'm saying tonight is, are easy. And that's why it takes discipline. But I promise you, if you go after it and you start doing it and you start taking the baby steps, it works. You need to attack the smallest credit card debt you have first.
0: My wife and I, we have two credit cards.
1: We have American Express and we have Visa. And I have visas simply because not every place except American Express. As I'm seated here before you, my wife and I, we have no debt. The only debt we have is on this apartment that we bought four or five months ago. Okay? Now, because, again, that passage that I read earlier, that I don't want to be servant to the lender, that's the reason why. And so I put stuff on that credit card. And guess what happens at the end of the month? I pay it all off. In other words, I use my credit card like a debit card. Because every time you and I use that card, believe me, it's been recorded. And so it tells these credit bureaus that I'm a good bet, that I'm a good risk. And that helps your FICO score go up. You say, what's a FICO score? A FICO score is what lenders look at when they want to loan you money, whether to buy a house or to get a car or to, or to, or to make per- big purchases. They're going to look at your FICO score. And so when you have a habit of paying off the, the balances on your credit card, guess what? Your, your, your FICO score keeps going higher and higher and higher. And so you want to eliminate the debt that you have. And so I, I suggest you start with the smallest one because once you do that, psychologically, you know, you're like, man, I eliminated, I eliminated that. And then you attack the next, the next one. Some of us are in debt as you're listening to me. Okay? The important thing is to get rid of that debt and to, and to stop buying things on credit. I've said it before and I'll say it again. When I don't have money for something, I don't buy it. I pay cash for everything. Down to, I need to replace my phone. I save up for the phone, and then I I have the cash, then I go buy it. Yes, I put it on my credit card, and then at the end of the month, I clear it off because the the, money is in my bank account. It takes discipline, okay? It takes discipline. You also want to check your credit report at least once a year. You and I are entitled to one free one every year, okay? Check it out. You need to check your credit report every year at least once a year you are you are entitled to one free one okay you say you don't know where to go you can talk to me privately i'll tell you where to go it's it's very simple as long as you google it they will tell you and you can you you can you can get it they will send it to you free once a year but you need to look through it because you don't want somebody going to get a hold of your credit card number and they start putting stuff in your name and buying stuff on your credit And all of a sudden, you see this, wait a second. I I never went to Macy's. I never went over here. But all that stuff is on your credit report. Identity theft is huge now in this country. I forget, I I think it's about every 30 seconds, somebody's identity is stolen in this country. And that's why it's it's, it's important that you take a look at that credit report. You don't want somebody buying stuff in your name and getting a credit card in your name. And all of a sudden, you're you're wondering, what, what, what is all this stuff? Okay? Now, here's another reason why you need to eliminate the debt. If all you do every month is pay the minimum that they're asking you to do, they're charging you 18 20% on the balance. That's how they make their money. And that's why you need to get out of debt. Don't just make minimum payments. Try and get out of it totally. And then, going forward, make sure that if you don't have the money for something, then don't buy it. Stop living on credit. Learn to say no to yourself. The interest rates are very high. Again, another reason why you want to eliminate debt before starting to invest, because you don't want to go invest, again, I'm making this up, in a mutual fund, and uh, that pays you 5% a year, but you're paying 20% on your debt to MasterCard or to Visa. That makes no sense. So eliminate the debt first. And then start investing. And you know, earning five, six, seven percent, a year or eight percent, and allow it to grow over time. And that's, what, that's going to be my next point I'm going to talk about investing. And that's how you allow money to work for you. but you get to get out of debt. If you don't get out of debt, you will never, you will never be able to survive going forward years from now. You, you, you will not be able to. You will continue to be servants to American Express or to Visa or to to MasterCard. And that's why it's important that you get out of debt before starting to invest.
0: Get in the habit of you want to buy a car? There's nothing wrong with that.
1: Buy a used car. Buy a reliable used car. My wife and I just purchased our first brand new car when we're moving to New York. All the years we've been married. We bought used cars, not reliable ones, but we bought used vehicles. There's nothing wrong in in, in, in purchasing a used car, especially if you have kids. They're going to get that thing dirty. They're going to spill all kinds of stuff into it, okay? Anyhow, so don't go buy a used car. Excuse me. Don't go buy a new car because the moment you drive it off the lot, guess what happens? The value plummets immediately. So let somebody else buy the new car and then go buy it from them used, because they have taken the depreciation. Besides, if you think about it, what's the point of a car anyhow, is to get you from point A to B. It doesn't matter what the, what the label says. Just buy a used reliable vehicle. Another thing on this point is don't go lease a car. Buy it or you know, put it on a, on a payment plan. Because what happens is if, if, you, if you buy a car on credit, That's actually better than leasing it because when you you finish paying for the car, guess what? The car belongs to you. If you go lease a car, at the end of the lease period, the car goes back to the car company. It's it's not yours. And so that's why you don't lease a car. You'd rather buy it and, you know, put it on credit and and pay for it every month if, if, if if you don't have the money to buy a used one. That's actually better than leasing a car, Okay. They're they just, they just siphoning your money. And at the, at the end of the day, that car doesn't belong to you. So buy, used, buy a used, reliable vehicle instead of buying a new one. Number four, start investing and build wealth. Once you are free of debt, you need to start investing. Now, brothers and sisters, investing involves risk. Not every investment will make you money. That's just the nature of capitalism. Okay? Okay. Going to the racetrack and betting or
0: going on.
1: Okay, trust me on this one. This is why when you when you start to invest, you need to diversify your portfolio. In other words, you don't put all your eggs in one basket, you don't put all your money in one place, you don't put
0: all your money in one stock. Most
1: financial advisors will advise you to invest at least 15% of your income every month. 15% of your income every month. I, as a Christian, say 20%. Okay, the world is telling me 15%. I'm going to go higher because I want to do better.
0: Open an investment account. You can do it online.
1: I th- That's one of the things I love about the internet. Years ago, when I was going to school, you had to go physically walk into a financial advisor's office to, do, to get this done. You can do this yourself online. Fidelity.com.
0: Bangor.com. ETrade.com, tradecom Charles I mean, there's so many. Just get in there
1: and open an account. Some of them, you can open an account with as less as, as of $100. But you've got to start somewhere. And you go in, you put in all your particulars. You, they will ask you to set up an account and put in your name. And uh, they will ask you for a social security number. Those are one of the few places where I would give my social out. Okay? And um, they will ask you for your email, all these different things. They will ask you to link it to a bank account or a savings account so that the money can just go out easily every month. But you can start this stuff up even tonight, even before Sunday. But you need to diversify your account. You know, a lot of these guys, everything is all, it's all, it's all there for you. Where diversification, you open up, like, say, a mutual fund. A mutual fund is basically a bunch of stocks of Fortune 500 companies. You say, oh, Richard, what are Fortune 500 companies? Fortune 500 companies are the big companies in America, uh, at, at uh, NASDAQ, on Wall Street. Companies like Apple, companies like Procter & Gamble, companies like Johnson & Johnson, uh, companies like General Electric. Okay, These are huge companies. And so when you buy a mutual fund, for instance, it would have a bunch of those stocks, a little bit of them from all these different companies. Okay? And that's what you want to do. You don't want to put all your monies in just technology because what happens when technology goes down, your money goes down. And so you want to put your monies... In a little bit in General Electric, a little bit in Apple, a little bit in ExxonMobil, a little bit in Procter & Gamble. You see, you see what's going on here? This is how these people make their money. But they're not going to teach you and I this. And that's why I'm teaching us this tonight. Okay? And so you open that investment account and, uh, and, and you start putting money in there slowly, every month. Now, some of us, we work for companies. You need to take advantage of your 401ks. In other words, your company or your businesses that you work for—they have a retirement account for you. Uh It's, it's, it's called a 401k, and they—they they will put you can put funds in there every month, and they are pre-tax dollars. And so that your money grows over time in those investments, so that when you turn 60, when you turn 65, that money is there waiting for you, and all of a sudden, the money is just—you know—the you're, you're, buying, you're buying those uh, uh, vitro funds and the money keeps growing. The, 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 the money actually doubles about every seven years. The, the interest keeps compounding in terms of higher, and they're paying dividends and they're paying whatever it is that you're making on, on, on the, and you just let it sit. And it is allowing your money to work for you at, rather than you working for money. That's the way investments work. But yes, there's an element of risk. So do your research, okay? But again, I'm saying to you, don't go put all your money in one basket. Oh, Richard, I heard this. This is going on. This, 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 this. I want to go put all my life savings in this. You know, good luck to you. I wouldn't advise you to do that. I'd advise you to diversify, because the scripture is true. If you gather money little by little, it is going to grow. And so you want to get in the habit of just again putting the money away little by little, and then compound interest will start working for you. Okay, let me give you an example. If you start today at age 25 and you start putting away $200 every month into some mutual fund, it just goes directly out of your bank account every month when you're paid, you can set it up in such a way that on the 30th, you know, that money just goes in there, okay? And that's the way we have our set up, and that's the way it's been set up for years. And so what happens is the money just going in. The buying the stuff. They buy the stock and, and the money is just there. It's just sitting there. And what happens is, after a while, after 30, 35 years, I mean, you just let me build. I promise you. By the time you're 65, all that $200 you've been doing from age 25 put into that amount, in, into that account, by the time you're 65, it's going to be at least two million billion. You can, you can get online and, and go plug in numbers. Even at a 6% interest rate that money will be at least $2 million. And so you got to start early. These are things that I wish they had taught me when I was young. But it's important that you start. Now, I learned it, but I didn't put it into practice because I was gone. I mean, I, you know, when I became a Christian, I said, you know, forget all this making money. I'm going to Africa. I'm going to help people become Christians. And that's what I did. And I don't regret it, by the way. But you see, it's important that you, are, you start investing and you start building wealth. All right? Now, don't invest in anything unless you easily can explain it to somebody else. Somebody, in the last several months, people have been asking me, oh, you know, I, I've heard of this thing called crypto. Should I get into it? I'm like, I don't understand it, so I'm not going to get into it. I'm not, not going to get into crypto. They just indicted a guy the other day um, who I think is a is, uh, crypto broker. brokerage name went bust. And, uh, but I don't invest in something I don't understand. I just don't do it. I'm not that greedy. I'm not I'm, get get rich quick, get rich quick schemes do not work, brothers and sisters. Let me say that again. Get rich quick schemes do not work. So be very very careful. Okay, be careful. Let's go back to the budget. Your income is 100%. Contribution is 10%. Rent is 31%. If you invest 15%, you can see already, this is 44% of your income and then you live on the rest. Excuse me, this is 50, I'm sorry, I can't do math. You you know what I'm saying, I apologize. This is 56% of our income. So you live on 44% if you you follow this formula. I can live on
0: 44%, you can live on 44%, okay? One of the things we've always done, my wife and I,
1: and uh, we buy clothes for the most part only once a year. When I walk into a clothing store, I'm going straight into the the sales section. Okay? Over the years, we've turned down many invitations to be a part of people's weddings because all that stuff costs money and I don't have it. It's okay to say no. I remember one Christmas, even with our family, because you know, money was tight. You know, the, 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 the bottom of the Christmas tree was very bare because all was all we had was one box for each person. And that's okay too. Again, it's living below your means. It's not spending money you don't have. I'm not gonna go into debt to live beyond my means to make somebody else happy. It's not happening, it's not good financial you know, management, okay? There are times when I've accepted hand-me-downs when it comes to clothing. All I do is I take them, thank you. I go dry clean them and I start putting them on. So there are many ways to save. There, 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 there are many ways to, 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 to cut down expenses so that you can start investing and start allowing money to work for you. I got to keep the, this moving. Number five, don't be like the Joneses. Stop buying stuff you don't need. There's a code that says we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. It makes no sense for us and sisters. Save and then purchase things with cash. Okay? Like I just said, I love to go to the sale and clearance section. That's where I stopped. When I walk into a store, that's where I'm going. Because that's it. That, that, that suit that used to be like $400, I'm going to buy for $80. I'm going to buy for $90. That's what you do. But stop being like the Joneses. You've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again tonight, as part of this, as part of this lesson. The Joneses are broke. They're up to their of their heads in debt. Stop being like them. Okay. Good things happen to those who
0: wait. There's a famous saying in finance. If you can see it on it, it's night. Like Seed only is not an asset, okay? Now, I always encourage Christians, buy yourself a good bed. If you think about it, you and I are going to spend a quarter of our lives on that bed.
1: And so it's okay to, 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 to spend money to get a, a great bed. And as a matter of fact, they do tell us that uh, you need to replace that mattress about every, every seven years, you need to replace it. And so it's okay. Again, you save up for it, and then you do it.
0: Buy quality, not quantity.
1: Buy quality, not quantity. I put on this shirt deliberately tonight. Would you believe me if I told you this shirt is 24 years old?
0: I bought it in 1999, and it looks brand new.
1: And so buy quality, not quantity. And again, I remember when I bought it, it was on sale at Macy's. I actually went back. I have, the, I have the blue version also. Now, obviously, with all this weight I've lost, I've, you know, it's, it's very big, but I'm going to get it taken in uh, because it's, it's, it's very quality. But, you see, don't be like the Joneses. Live below your means. Number six, I'm almost done. Purchase term life insurance.
0: Think about it and plan ahead. What is the
1: purpose of term life insurance? The purpose of time life insurance is if God decides, you know what, to take you to the other side and you're gone, your family and your kids do not suffer financially. Because all of a sudden now, your income that you used to bring in, it's gone. It's gone. Term life insurance, the insurance company will pay your spouse or will pay whoever it is that you you've put down as a
0: beneficiary. They will pay them that amount. I advise you
1: to get a 20-year term life insurance or even 30 years or even 40 years, depending on your age. For those of you that are young, 25, 26, 27-year-old, get a 40-year term life. They're not very expensive. Yes, you got to pay for it every month, okay? But if something happens to you suddenly and you die, guess what? The insurance company will pay 100% of that Insurance to your family or to your beneficiary, and that's why you do it. Don't don't get whole life insurance. As far as I'm concerned, I can do better on my mutual fund than with whole life insurance. Because what whole life insurance is, is they're saying, oh, at a certain age, we're going to pay you this amount. I can do that myself through my own investments. I can get a better return. I can get the eight percent, but on my own, as opposed to the insurance company paying me two percent. That makes no sense. And that's why my advice to people is to get term life insurance.
0: When homeboy was alive, he had term life insurance
1: and he took one out. Nobody knew he was going to come down with cancer and he's no longer here. He's He's in paradise now. Guess what? He named Daisy as his beneficiary. And guess what? They paid her. My sister has gotten paid, and it happened very quickly. And that's what term life insurance is for, and that's why you get it. My wife and I, we have term life insurance. We took, it, we took it out years ago, just in case something happens to either of us. And that's the purpose of it. Very, very important. Again, the premiums are low, because you and I, we're in good health, we're in great health, uh, we, are, we, we are non-smokers. And so look, take it out. But you want to get term life insurance to protect your families financially in case, you know, you cross over and go on to paradise. You don't want them suffering financially. And finally, start saving to buy a home. Oh, this is not finally. I'm sorry. This is number seven. I have an eighth point. Number seven, start saving to buy a home or an apartment. Brothers and sisters, real estate is a great investment. Homes always in value, especially in a place like New York, because there's no more space. And that's why you realize we're always building upward, because there's no more land. And that's why we build upward. The same thing goes for New York, uh, not only New York, but places like Hong Kong and Tokyo. That's why you see all these high rise buildings, because there's, there's very limited space. There's very limited land. But the great thing about getting a place in New York is because it's going to appreciate in value, always especially in New York City, okay? Homes always appreciate. So think about home ownership as an investment. Now, the cool thing about also home ownership is after you've lived in it for two years as your primary residence, you can sell it. And guess what? All that money you make from the monies are pre- the, the, your, your, your home or apartment appreciating value after two years is capital gains to you. You don't pay the IRS a penny of it. Okay, that, that's, a, that's, another, that's another good way to, 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 for you to have a, a, a home or an apartment as an investment. Because after two years, for, for some reason, you have to leave and you move somewhere. When you sell it, all that money you made, you don't have to pay taxes on it. You don't pay the capital gains on it. Okay. And so there's a, there's a, there's a program called NACA for first-time home buyers. I understand the process is tedious, but you want to look into it. I know several members of our church who have gone through it and now they have a home. So you want to look into something like NACA. I remember when we started saying, hey, we want to buy a house or we want to find a place over here. Somebody mentioned NACA and then I found out it's only for first-time home buyers and I'm sorry, I don't qualify. And so, you know, we, we didn't go through the program. All right? But you, you can go through it. You, you, want to, you want to purchase an apartment or a house with at least 3% down. When I say 3%, you, you got to save up for that money. Because, you know, back in the 2000s, we've all heard about the sub, subprime mortgage fiasco where people were being loaned money to buy homes with no money down. And when that thing went bust, guess what? A lot of people lost their homes. Okay, so don't, don't, don't fall for such things. When we came back into this country in 2004, I remember somebody said, oh, we you, you can buy a house right away. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, how am I going to buy a house without no money down? Oh, the, the, the banks will loan you money. Even then, I smelled a rat. That, what, what is going on here? And so don't do that. You want to put some money down. If you can, you want to save up at least 20%. Because when if you put down at least 20% on a loan, on a house, then you don't pay what is called PMI, which is prime mortgage insurance. Because if you, if you put less than 20% down on a place you're trying to buy, you're going to pay PMI. And that, what is PMI? PMI is in, in case you default, then insurance company is going to pay the bank because of your default. That's all it is. And you, got, you have to keep paying uh, that PMI until you've put down enough 20% of the value for your, for your place, and then that money goes off. You don't have to, you, you, you stop paying that. But get financial advice. All this stuff I'm saying, is, it, it's, it's, it's everywhere. But look into it. You also need to save up the closing costs. You know, I was in shock when we bought this place where, you know, I paid 100% of the closing costs. In most parts of the country, you negotiate that, where maybe the seller pays half and then you pay half. In New York City, I was like, I'm paying all the closing costs. Like, wow, things are different around here. But you got to save up for that, okay? Again, remember that you're investing in yourself, in real estate. The same thing goes for if you decide to go, go get a master's, that's also a good investment. You are investing in yourself. Let's say you want to go get a master's or you want to get a PhD or whatever. That's okay too. You're investing in yourself. You're improving your skills or you want to go get some kind of certification. That's okay. You're investing in yourself. You're investing in real estate. That, those are good investments. All right? Now, let me give you an example. You know how it is when, as parents, some of us will be like, man, my kid's turn 18 and uh, they live in the house. And again, they do come back. Because even when they go off to college, they do come back. If, for example, when your kid turns 18, yes, they have they have that room at home. You start charging them rent for that room they are occupying at at 18. Let's say again, I'm making numbers up. I'm making this easy: two hundred and fifty dollars every month. Now you start charging your son or daughter. They're now, they've now they gone off to college. They're, they're making money. They're, they're in school and all these different things. But we start charging them $250 for that room they're occupying. When they turn 23, five years later, brothers and sisters, you can turn around and give them that $15,000 that they pay to you as rent, as a down payment to find a place. And so there's so many different ways to do this and to set our kids up and to help them get along in life. Don't go spend some ridiculous amount of money on a wedding.
0: It makes no sense. Rather, you money to them
1: because again, real estate appreciates in value. And finally, number 18. I started number 18. Number eight, I'm sorry. Number eight, think about estate planning. Think about estate planning. One thing is for sure we are going to leave this earth someday, all right? Estate planning is about planning for the assets you and I are going to leave behind. Last week, I mentioned leaving an inheritance for our kids. And I said, we don't leave all everything to our kids. I said that. You know why? It's because of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse beginning verse 17. He said, so I hated my life. This is Solomon talking because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had told for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet, they will have control over all the fruit of my toil, under which I have poured out my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. And then they must leave all their own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving for which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil too i see is from the hand of god for without him who can eat or find enjoyment to the person who pleases god excuse me to the person who pleases him god gives wisdom knowledge and happiness but to the sinner he gives the task of gathering and sowing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases god this too is meaningless a chasing after the wind that is why my wife and i are not leaving everything we have to our daughters yes are we going to give them a sizable amount absolutely but we're going to give money to charity. We're going to give money to the poor. We're going to give money to other family members. We're going to give money to the church. That I am saying. And so be very, very careful because again, I used the examples uh, of quote unquote, very wealthy people last week in terms of even them understand that, you know what? I'm not leaving all my wealth for my kids because it's going to mess them up. So be very careful in terms of leaving 100% of your estate to your kids.
0: Now, if you want to do that, that's entirely up to you. But I'm
1: saying it's not wise. Listen to the wisest man that ever lived. Brothers and sisters, we need to start teaching our kids about how to manage money. This is huge. Show them even when you're paying the bills. Hey, Some? get over here. Guys, gather. Okay, here's the bill. Here's the gas bill for this fund. Here's the electric bill for this month. Here's the cable bill for this month. I'm about to pay, okay? Show them how to do this. Show them how to manage money. When you give them an allowance, show them how to manage it. They just can't go to McDonald's and spend all of it in one sitting. Show them how to do this. Teach them how to respond to them having money. They're not going to teach it to them in college.
0: You and I have to teach them that. Amen? Make a wheel. Make a living wheel. For those of us that are older disciples,
1: make a wheel. Make a living wheel. You may want to leave your money in a trust for your kids. I've seen this happen. I'm going to say this and I'm going
0: to keep quiet. Where I've
1: seen a situation where a disciple got a, a huge inheritance. She was single at the time. And she got the money. It was great.
0: Um, And then she got married in the church. And then a few years later, she passed away. Brothers and sisters, I'm not making this up. A week later, after that sister is buried, this guy leaves the church. A relative went over to their place to, to ask about, inquire about something and knocked on the door. Would it surprise you if I told you that there was, there was
1: a woman in the house? The woman was just buried. This guy that got hold of money, that she got through her inheritance. The guy had another woman in the house. That's heartbreaking. And that's why, you know, if, if, if you want to put your money in a trust for your kids, that's probably the best way to go. Because in case, if they get married later and something happens to them, and you know, um, something happens to their spouse, that person doesn't just take off with all that money that you worked for and you told. That's all, that's all this is. And so I'm just saying, get help. You want to do this thing right. But think about estate planning. I know I've gone over tonight. I, you know, I, I, I'm. I'm uh, I, I hope you were taking notes, and I encourage you to come back and listen to this lesson, and uh, be very careful about all these get rich quick schemes. You know, um, my Bible tells me that He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Okay, seek advice about all this stuff. Remember, it's God's money that you're managing. I'm going to ask our brother Rick Romaine, to um, unmute yourself and lead us in a word of prayer. And then after that, we're gonna let's have some great fellowship in our breakout rooms. I hope this has been helpful. Forgive me for going long, and uh, I'm just trying to pass down, you know, all this wisdom that you know, and uh, financial wisdom that we're living by. Again, I, I never tell people to do what I'm not doing. I'm, I'm not that kind of a leader. I never was, and so I just wanted to pass this on. You know, if you want to, uh, you, if you want to discard anything I've said tonight, that's entirely up to you. It's all free, but. Uh, um, and, But I'm I'm appealing to you that if you put these things into practice, you know, when you turn 60, when you turn 65, you know, you're going to be sitting pretty, financially speaking. So go ahead and Rick, Rick Roman, lead us in a word of prayer. And then after that, we're going to go out to our breakout rooms. God bless you all.
0: Thank you so much for listening.